as we walk through Psalm 111 together. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart and the company of the upright in the congregation. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. And Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, you know we live in the midst of so many dangers that in our frailty we cannot stand upright. Grant strength and protection to support us in all dangers and carry us through all temptations through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Good morning. Our Old Testament reading today is found in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your brothers, it is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading for today is found in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 8. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, 
Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ. Through him we are all things and through him in whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to rise in honor of the gospel. And from Mark's gospel in the first chapter. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him, and they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for gathering us into your house to hear your word and receive your gift. We pray you move by your spirit, remove distractions from our hearts and minds. Let us rest in the promises that you give us in Christ and see you as King. In Jesus' precious name we praise and thank you. Amen. So we continue to walk through Mark's gospel. And last week we hear of Jesus walking into town, his word at work, calling disciples. And do you remember what he was preaching, proclaiming when he came into town? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And as we walk through Mark's gospel, it's really interesting, first off, to listen to who's speaking, all right? And as you listen to the words and the quotes and the words that are being said throughout the intro to Mark's gospel, today's lesson, here we are 20-some-odd verses in, we finally get a regular old human being talking in the synagogue. Before that, we've got John the Baptist 
talking. Okay, he's a regular old human being. Except we don't hear his words necessarily. We hear him saying the quotes from Isaiah. So even upon his lips is God's word, right, being spoken to the people. Jesus comes on the scene. You get the Son of God himself speaking, God in man, walking around and speaking. We don't hear anything from the disciples he calls. All he does is say, follow me, and they get up and follow him. This word of God that's at work, this word of God that has power, this word of God that continues on. And then immediately, because Mark loves immediately, immediately he just moves right in. And on the Sabbath, Jesus is there in the synagogue and teaching, which is exactly what we'd expect the Son of God to be doing in the midst of God's people gathered together on the Sabbath. And he's there speaking his word and teaching, and the people are amazed, astounded. Because he teaches as one who has authority. That's a fun word, isn't it? What does it take to have authority? Well, take the I-T-Y off the end of it, and what do you get? Author. Oh, so it's like the one who put it all into play, the one who wrote it down, the one who set the script, the one who is there to actually have authority over what's going on because he is the one that set it all in motion. Brought it all into being. Now the other division there that's interesting is the scribes that they mention would never speak of their own authority or their own understanding of words. They would always speak about somebody else who had wrote and written about it. So you would imagine like me then saying, well, I read this guy and that guy read this guy and that guy read this guy and, and that guy way down the road said this about God's word. As opposed to having Jesus standing you in front of you, speaking it as though he wrote it. Okay? The scribes never wrote the words, they just copied them down. Jesus is the one who wrote it. And he's speaking as the one who wrote it. And as he's speaking and teaching, they're amazed at his teaching because the authority that he's taking, the position that he's taking, the status that he's taking to actually be the one who speaks the word in a way as though it's his very own. Imagine that. God speaking his very own word in front of people as though it's his very own. Huh. And he's telling them about the kingdom of God. What does it mean for the kingdom of God to be at hand? What does it mean for the time to be fulfilled? What does it mean for the good news to be present in front of them? They can't figure it out. It's overwhelmed, astounded, amazed. And then there's a demon in the synagogue. I know you've never felt that way at church, so this is what it's saying. But there's one in the synagogue who comes in rambling, and he comes in just shouting at Jesus, the first one to call Jesus by name, and this spiritual being from inside a human walks into the midst of the synagogue and says, I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. What? You come to destroy us? I know you're the Holy One of God. What do you have to do with us? Can you imagine hearing that? I can't imagine the voice that was coming out of that guy. I can't imagine the depth and the volume that was there. And Jesus, without so many words of even needing to name the demon that's there, not even needing to name or call it out, just says, be silent and get out of it. And he did. 
that is something that's hard for us to wrap our heads around because it's not something that we deal with in a common occurrence. There are a lot of places in the world that they deal much more and are much more sensitive to a spiritual side of God's creation. But remember, the demons and the angels are part of God's creation, and though they are more powerful than the human side of creation, in a way, they also are not more powerful than God. They're not part of eternity in the way that God is. They have a starting point, a part of creation. So here comes the king of all creation, the one who put it all in motion, set it all into being, wrote it all down, and he walks in, and as much as those demons and that man try to bring Jesus into their kingdom by naming him and putting him on the spot, he doesn't play into it at all. So stop it. Be silent. Get out of it to note, though, that the people so far in Mark's gospel have no idea who Jesus really is. They're not exactly sure. John the Baptist would uh, profess him as the Messiah and proclaim him as the Messiah, the sent one from God who was coming to fulfill all the prophecies of the Old Testament, yet a full understanding of what that meant still wasn't quite there. And then the disciples that he calls, they follow him, but some of them aren't exactly sure why. And then in the midst of a Sabbath gathering of God's people, the demons name him perfectly. Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God. Jesus wouldn't have his name proclaimed upon their lips. Even though the good word still gets out, people get to hear who he is. They just don't quite know what it means. Thinking of this kingdom of God at work, the very word of God present amongst his kingdom with power and authority and doing things that just didn't make sense to people, yet they could see that the word of Jesus himself had some sort of power that they could never imagine. Started to make me think a little bit about how do we build our own kingdoms? Because, man, we like to build our own kingdoms. What's that look like? We see them all over the place, right? We see kingdoms of financial stability. We see kingdoms of social status. We see kingdoms within families even of how this piece of the family is going to be more right and upright and then this side of the family. And so we start to set up our places of position, try and grab our own authority, take our own power and set up our own little kingdom. And the church isn't safe from it either see it all around as we try to build things around ourselves. And as we build things around ourselves, then we start to look to God sometimes and say, hey, how come, why don't you come be part of this? We can't. We can't drag the king of all creation into our own kingdom. We can't be two kings. It doesn't work that way. When we set up our own kingdoms, when we set up ourselves as the ones, as the place of authority, when we set up ourselves as the ones that direct everything, when we set up ourselves as the ones who author and write down and set things in motion, then the real king is sitting outside there somewhere. But those little kingdoms that we try to scratch together as much as they feel like they're a good thing for a while, they never seem to last all that long. Because like with history, all good kings die 
look through the histories of any kingdom at any point, and the lineages end after a while, and the kings fade away after a while, and all that's left of them is some legend or some memory or some history. The castles fall into ruins. The walls start to be shambles. And we start to feel that within ourselves with the things that we build around ourselves at times too. Yet the kingdom of God is worth. Oh, that word present in the middle of his creation, shocking. Setting things right. Taking a human being that was possessed by some sort of spiritual entity that is talking to Jesus, and Jesus says, no, get out of him. It makes the guy right. Restores him. Gives him back all that God had given him in his birth. Seen God make things right. There's times in life where things don't seem to make sense at all in a relationship, and yet God restores it. You know what sin does within your life, separating you from God, and yet again and again and again you hear the good news that you are forgiven on account of Christ, that because of Him, The kingdom is at work, his word being shared so you would know of your sins being forgiven, so that you would know that you are made right before God. And that kingdom of God that Jesus came in proclaiming continues to have authority in his creation, continues to be strengthened. Now in those few years that Jesus was there present in the midst of creation, he got to proclaim the fact that the king was present, that he was working. His word was being shared. But then he left. Three short years. Died. Risen. Ascended. And then he left. But does that mean he's not king? No, you see. It's a beautiful thing. He continues to reign. God continues to reign over his creation. The kingdom of God continues to be just as active as it ever was. The kingdom of God continues to go on and on. The kingdom of God continues to strengthen. It does not fall or falter or turn into shambles or get run down or overtaken or anything. Because our king still lives. Our king still reigns. Our king continues to build his kingdom by his word as you share it with one another, as you share it in a world that needs to hear it. He continues to build his kingdom as he continues to work through you to gather others into his kingdom and continue to keep that kingdom at work for the care and protection of souls into eternity. Knights and ladies in the kingdom sharing the word of God for the good of the people around. What a beautiful thing to see. The kingdom of God still at work. The kingdom of God still reigning and ruling. And Satan and his armies have no chance against it. They cannot defeat the word of God. They cannot overtake the kingdom of God. Because he is the king. He's the author. Over all things. Over our hearts. Over all creation. Over life. And over death, death does not reign anymore, but life does on account of Christ. And that life is yours as he has made you one of his in his kingdom. By his word, in his hands, in his promise. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all 
that you have done to make us yours, to shatter our own kingdoms and drag us sometimes unwillingly into your kingdom as you wash us with your word and give us of your spirit to lead us on in your way so that more would hear of your love for us in Christ. Give us the courage, Lord, to be those who follow you as king and guide us in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.